Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Goodbye, University. All right, we've gathered here today for our monthly LOA Book Club for June. I'm really delighted to see who's dialed in with me. Nancy and Ming and Cindy are all dialed in and unmuted. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. And I also see Brenda and Robert in chat room along with a couple of other guests. So I'm hoping to hear some fabulously inspiring things you guys have been engaged in lately. Uh, I had promised to review, write it down, make it happen. And Ming, I know you read this one as well, right? Right. I read it. So we can both share some thoughts from it. Uh, this one's by Henriette and Clauser, and the subtitle is Knowing What You Want and Getting It. So this is, um, it's, a, it's not a new book. It is one of the few that I have been inspired to reread. So it says copyright 2000. It's been on my shelf long enough that these pages are yellowed. So I don't remember when I got it, but I, I definitely picked it up because of the title. And I think I was already pre-rain journaling at the time that I picked up this book. And much of what inspired me about it is um, her emphasis on the power of writing. And I can't say that I agree with everything that is shared here, but there was enough for it that's in alignment with what I practice and coach others to that I was very happy that I picked this up again for a reread. So I'll share a couple of my thoughts, and Ming, if you want to chime in as I'm sharing, or if you want to share afterwards what stood out for you. But the, her opening and the introduction, I loved so much. I didn't even bother highlighting it or dog-earing the page because I knew I would start here to share this with you guys. Uh, the very first paragraph, an Egyptian scribe sits on my fireplace hearth. The stone statue is a replica brought back from my trip to Cairo several years ago. He sits cross-legged a papyrus scroll across his lap and a stylus poised in his hand ready to write. His eyes are wise and far away as though he could see the future. Oh, I'm feeling myself getting emotional. This is how much I love this. He is a symbol of what this book is all about. For the ancient people of the Nile, writing something made it real. I love, love, love that introduction. She goes on to talk about, oh, the, the books in the 20s and 30s, like Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, Claude Bristol's The Magic of Believing, James Allen's As a Man Thinketh. Uh, she, she says these, um, they share a lot of popular ideas. They're still popular today despite some of their archaic language. But it really comes down to that if you know what you want, you can have it. She starts talking about the brain research, about how that fits in here. She says, write it down, make it happen, keeps the sense of wonder, and is grounded in the same now scientific truth that setting your intent, focusing on the outcome, being clear about what you want in life can make your dreams come true. Obviously, she's talking about focusing in terms of writing. That's what this book, but she does, there are a couple sections where she talks about speaking it out loud instead or using your imagination, but primarily she is all about the power of writing. She starts off, we're still in the introduction, and she's talking about celebrity stories that we've heard Jim Carrey with his $10 million bill, she talks about, oh, the guy who, um, Adams, Scott Adams, creator of the comic Dilbert. He was a guy back when he was in his corporate cubicle uh, desk. He, he would write down 15 times a day, I will become a syndicated cartoonist. 
and through lots of rejections, he persevered, and finally it happened. And then he started writing, I will be the best cartoonist on the planet. <laughs> and then it talks about his successes, you know, syndicated in 2,000 newspapers worldwide, 100,000 visitors a day to his website. His first book sold more than over a million copies. He's got products and stuff. There's even a weekly TV show. Now what he writes 15 times a day is, I will win a Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> that was a cool story. I had not heard that one before. She also told Susie Orman, Financial Wizard, uh, New York Times bestseller, frequent guest on Oprah, how she started out. She got a job at Merrill Lynch, was terrified she wouldn't be able to meet her sales quota. The most she'd ever made until then was $400 a month as a waitress. And she, now she's quoting Susie. I created what I wanted for myself first on paper. Every morning before I went to work, I would write over and over again, I am young, powerful, and successful, producing at least $10,000 a month. Even after surpassing that target figure, she continued to carry the saying around with her like a lucky charm in words. I, she said, I replaced the message of fear and my belief was my belief I was inadequate with a message of endless possibility. And writing down her new truth helped make it materialize. I, I got to say, when I read that, it was really strong reinforcement for the, our practice at GVU this month of reprogramming ourselves with through the repetition. I have been playing with both writing and speaking it out loud, but reading some of these stories of people who would write it repeatedly and Ming, there is, I can't remember where it is. It feels like it's pretty early on in the book where she talks about some people who made things happen just by writing it down once and others who had a practice of writing it down repeatedly every day. Mm -hmm. Both worked. Uh, but, oh, there was one other cool story. This wasn't a celebrity. Um, oh, she talks about how this book happened through even writing things down. She had a story from her son who uh, he just, he, I think he just did it once. I think his was a story that was just a one-time thing. Oh, the kids wanted a pool. Do you remember that one, Ming? And the dad didn't say, I'm not getting you a pool, but the dad would say something like, well, focus on what you want, or something along those lines, like, <laughs> you know, keep on it. I'm not doing it. But he didn't say, no, you can't have it, but he also didn't go out and get him a pool. And so they kept, he, he'd say that every time they asked for one, one day they drove by someone's house who had one, just like they wanted, and they were so excited and his daughter said, hey, stop the car so we go ask them where they got it. And he was kind of embarrassed for them to be knocking on a stranger's door, but he did. He let them go ring the doorbell. And um, and then those people, they were wanting to get rid of the pool to build a garden, so they let them have it for free. <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of a cool story about how it, there, she isn't about the rules. In fact, several times she she reiterates that how you do it isn't what matters. She, she's quoting Dumbo with his magic feather that you are the magic. The writing is just a tool, but the magic comes from you. I thought that was a cool thing to include where, you know, she's all about writing it down. Yeah. Uh, so I did have a couple of things I wanted to share when she talks about how <laughs> rubbing, polishing coconuts. Yes, you're going to write your stuff down, but you're also going to do the things that you feel inspired to. And she's talking specifically about synchronicities and coincidences. Uh, she said... We think of such occurrences as isolated events that are easily chalked up to luck or happenstance. I prefer to call them go-incidences instead of a coincidence. A go-incidence is part of a pattern. Such events are a sign, a signal. They carry the forward motion of a green light and the final syllable urgency of a referee at the track. On your mark, get set, go. 
so she says, um, oh, this was interesting. Some believe we send out energy waves. This is as close as I think she got is to talking about law of attraction. I don't think she ever used the phrase. Some believe we send out energy waves, transmissions, vibrations, whatever, that attract people's solutions to us. Others call it divine intervention. These views are not mutually exclusive. I, for one, hold a little bit of each of them. She said what these views have in common is a duality that, number one, puts us in charge, while number two, also implying a higher power who is guiding, watching out, caring about each and every one of us. So she says writing it down sends a notice to the universe, hey, I'm ready, and go incidences are signs that send a message back. I got your signal, and I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of like that. It wasn't all about action, but she's like, you know, look for look for the signs for you to do something on your part. Yeah, I like that. I liked when she wrote, it was in the beginning of the book, too. It said that part about help from your brain, writing down mm-hmm. your dreams and aspirations is like hanging up a sign that says open for business. Or she says, as my friend Elaine puts it, writing it down, you declare yourself in the game. Putting it on paper alerts the part of your brain known as the reticular activating system to join you in the play. I like that when she used the example of the car because that happened to me. It's like when I decided I was going to get a new car, then I saw the VW Jetta on the side of the street, and I'd never seen a wagon before. And then all of a sudden, right, what do I see everywhere? Mm -hmm. A Jetta, wagon, everywhere I go. So... That was yeah, cool. it's like it brings it to life in a way that where it wasn't it wasn't activated before. I like right. the story right in that same section, Ming, where she was talking about, oh, I think it was her son's graphics business, right, where they wrote down mm-hmm. one goal, we want more exposure to get our name before the public. And they did things like setting up a booth at a trade show. They sent out notices to area companies who might need design help. They approached new businesses with an introductory offer. Uh, and many of these efforts and expenditures did not pan out directly, but what was totally unexpected and could not have been predicted was that one day they got a call from the Wall Street Journal. They were doing an article on a successful small businesses and had been given their name by a local Kinko's coffee shop as two movers and shakers. The article went out on the Internet and gave them all kinds of exposure. That, to me, I love that for not being attached to how something's going to happen, but obviously she shares the story as inspiration to they wrote down one goal, we want more exposure to get our name before the public. <laughs> exactly. That was kind of cool. In Chapter 2, she's talking about, and this might be part of the the things I didn't agree about, that you can't have what you want until you're clear. I just, did I publish it? Five Myths, I believe I did, a podcast on five myths, one of them being that you have to be clear about what you want. I disagree with that. And I think Abraham would support this because Abraham says you just have to vibrate what you want. Even if you don't know what that is, the universe does. It's in your vortex. You've probably long forgotten everything that you ever wanted, but it's still in there being tended to. And as soon as you become a vibrational match, which simply means feel good or be happy, then that sort of stuff is what unfolds in your life. So I don't think clarity is required. Vibrational alignment is required. But she is kind of big in this book on how writing it down creates that clarity and that's what makes it more real. Um, I like the story she told about when she was writing a book. She wanted to create success with her book. She created a bank account called Best Seller for depositing book payments. She said she was nervous about doing it and felt silly at the time. It had a zero balance for a while. But because I had a place to deposit them, I soon found myself collecting advances and royalty checks. And she says, today it gives me great pleasure when I'm selling books at a convention and a new fan asks, to whom do I make out this check? 
I grin from ear to ear and say proudly, make it out to the bestseller account. <laughs> that, that to me kind of felt like um, acting as if, right, or like preparing the way. Uh-huh. Uh, and she uses that same uh, premise to talk about collecting whatever it is that you want. She said anyone who's got a hobby knows that as you start collecting something, you'll gather it pretty quickly. And she suggested uh, collecting positive feedback or praise compliments. She tells the story of a guy who used a compliment book to foil your inner critic. I think a lot of us, I, I already practiced that. I have an email folder for it. Uh, um, what else do I want to share? Ooh, I loved this quote at the beginning of chapter four. There is a difference, says Napoleon Hill, between wishing for a thing and being ready to receive it. It makes me want to go back to someone who just commented on my blog about how she fantasizes about, I can't remember what it was, performing or something. It makes her feel good. She said, it is, oh, rehearsing the vibration. She asked, is that good enough? And I think I said, yeah, well, the, you know, pay attention to how you feel. But yeah, you're doing it. I love what this quote feels like. It points to something deeper than that. There is a difference between wishing for a thing and being ready to receive it. How do you discern the difference? This is the author writing now. How do you know when you were ready or if you were not ready? How do you know what it will take to get to that stage? She tells a story of, oh, a woman who wanted to be married. Oh, my gosh. She wrote letters to her soulmate for two years before mm-hmm. she met him. And at the very end of the two-year period, she she basically, she was like, well, because she had moments, she had times of discouraging. In the book, she talks about putting a deadline on it, too. And this girl had done that. I want you here by my birthday. I want you here for my birthday celebration. He wasn't there. And she had moments where she was felt feeling so desperate, like she wanted to grab any man in arm's reach just because she didn't want to be alone. But she didn't. And eventually she realized, you know, maybe she just needed to prepare a life as if he might not be there. And and so she did. Like she decided, I don't have to be married to have fine china. I don't have to be married in order to make my house how I want it to be. And she started really living her life, decluttering and doing things for herself and she she continued to write her letters. She wasn't writing them every day, but she was writing them regularly. And it wasn't until, I mean, tell me if I'm getting this story right, but it wasn't until she basically got okay that he might not be there. And he was there like three days later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, get, they got married in February, said 11 months after they met. So um, in the process of, this is her, in the process of writing it down, of visualizing, there's a constant surrender a constant working on the issues that keep you from your fulfillment. It's not only about writing things down. There is a parallel course. There is work that has to be done. The author writes, Gloria was insightful enough to know that events happening or not happening outside us are often merely a reflection of our own inner struggle. And and her her letters reflected that. Like she was talking about how to her soulmate, my task has been to get rid of old ghosts. And sometimes she talks about, you know, being afraid that when she after she meets him, they're going to fight because she saw so many marriages that weren't good. So um, she she embraced this challenge really, and uh, she she practiced an act of continuous relinquishment. And um, she acknowledged the frustrations. Oh, about a month before she met him, she Gloria hit her lowest level of despondency. She met a man whom she knew in her heart was not going to be the one yet she was still disheartened that she did not connect with him. I was quoting, I was so discouraged in that moment. How many more men will I have to meet before this is possible? I was ranting and raving. How many more? 
Because of her writing, though, oh, I loved this. Because of her writing, though, her disillusionment did not last months or even days. It lasted 20 minutes, and she went past it. Quoting again, it was like a nightmare. It was horrible, and I cried, and it seemed like I was in the depths, the depths of despair, and right behind it was my faith again. I always came back to the place of saying, this is possible. And then she went back once more to writing, and she wrote a letter. Anyway, uh, he, he showed up. They lived happily ever after. I think as they wrote this, they'd been together 16 happy years. So that's kind of a cool story. But I, I found that to be true, too, for my own self in writing Prey Rain journals, that the process can identify resistance. Now, this author saying the process of continuing to write also releases the resistance, I can't say that I probably did experience that, but she and I had different processes of writing because she would write about things that she wanted, whereas the Prey Rain Journal process is write as if it's already done. And I think there were a couple stories here of people who had used it that way, but more than not, she's just saying write down your goals or your intentions, and she often is using future tense in the stories that she tells from people who practice this with great success. So let me see what else I felt inspired to share with you guys. Um, this is a lot of stories. I like a book that has real-life stories rather than just instruction with no real-life examples. But this is really, really oriented around other people's stories. It's almost like she collected the stories and then wrote a book around their experiences uh, rather than just rather than the other way around. Um, one person wrote about listing things, and they would write things down in the form of a list, and she said writing a list gets it out of the swamp onto paper. You can see a list in black and white, and it's real. A lot That was a repeated theme here, that writing it down is what takes it from that fantasy place into that claiming place. She's got a chapter eight on focusing on the outcome. Oh, yeah, she wanted to go to Greece. She wanted to be paid to go to Greece. There was a workshop there. And I think someone said, yes, you could come to your workshop out here. But it wasn't filling, so they were basically saying, we're probably going to have to cancel this because we don't have enough sign-ups. But she kept writing about it. And... Um, I hope I'm in, in the right chapter to tell the story. She kept writing about it, even when it looked like it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> and she actually has a couple of her own really cool stories. And it did. Like at the last minute, the thing filled up. But she stayed focused on the outcome, how much she enjoyed being in Greece, how much she enjoyed the venue, and what great things the people were getting out of the workshop. So the, here's a section on writing them versus speaking them. Um, and she told the story of a guy who he writes the same things every day, partly as affirmation, but he also says as a focusing thing, as a memory thing. And this reminded me of from the last book that I read, The Vow-Powered Life, how she starts her day with her vow, a meditation on her vows just to orient herself towards what she wants to live. And this guy was telling a really powerful story about how he did the same thing. In his story, they were talking about how some people, they just want to write it down once and then just read it after that. But he said, the reason I write it out every day is to find out how connected I am. Because the very act of writing it out makes himself ask, am I here and now? 
senses. So he talks about when he wakes up, he's in a different state, sometimes scattered. It takes me a little while to write the list because I can't think of them. Even though I write them every day, it is a measure for me of how alert my mind is and how connected I am, how grounded on a particular day. If I'm spacey and can't remember something and need to look at the previous day's intention sheet, then I know to take that lack of sharpness, edge, or presence into account during the day, making adjustments when necessary. So he was, he he uses the writing in a really um, deliberate way. I have done both. There are times when I use Abraham's exercise where you the amp it up, where you write down what you want, and then write the reasons why you want it, and then write the reasons why you believe you can have it. The purpose of the exercise is to amp up desire and belief, because when you have those two things in place, you're an unstoppable manifester. What I sometimes do is write that thing down once, and then I just read it a couple other times. I don't rewrite it every time. I I like that practice quite a bit. I don't think I'd love it as much if I were rewriting it every time, but maybe I'm just being lazy. Ooh, speaking of lazy, there was a part where she she told the story of someone who was committed to do it easy. Someone who would oh, she would write that down and and bring that practice to life throughout her day so that she, whatever she was like paying a bill or going to a meeting or whatever, she'd remind herself to do it easy. I liked that. I there was also a part I liked about her commitment. She said it isn't just the outcome that you're committed to, but there's a why behind it. She didn't use exactly those words, but the oh, she called it the outcome of the outcome. Like, why do you want this thing? So when she was manifesting her new house, and she one of the things on her list was that it was sunny. The reason she wanted it to be sunny was because she wanted to do her work. She imagined herself working in the kitchen in her pajamas with a steaming cup of tea, and... Um, like so she got behind the desire and that was one of the things that she found more powerful in her writing process uh there was another part i liked about um i don't think i need to include that in this book review i'm going to actually dog ear that cuz i want to i want to explore that maybe in a blog post or something so what else did we like mm, yeah remember writing it down it's it's not the magic feather you are the magic what else stood out for you, Ming? Was there anything you wanted to share that I haven't covered? I think that was about it. Ooh, I like how when she said writing gave her the courage to act. I don't know who she was quoting, but someone found it was the process of putting it in writing that gave her the um, impetus to actually take action mm. like that. So overall, and the things I didn't really agree with it, you've got to be clear, you cannot manifest anything if you aren't clear. Didn't agree with that. Um, ooh, this reminded me of something Frank Butterfield has said before. Uh, I, well, I don't know what chapter we're in, but this section is called Reaching a Deeper Level. At first it seems like a contradiction, but sometimes the thing we need to let go of is the very thing we want. Oh, yeah, she's talking about balance, how you got to let go of some stuff and she's quoting elizabeth st james the author of i think the simple life about how they engaged a oh yeah a ritual around the writing they do it once a year for new year's eve let go of what we don't want and invite in what we do want this chapter was about how there might be some stuff you need to let go of in order to have what you want and then she ends it with sometimes the thing you have to let go of is the very thing that you want Gloria met her mate only after she began to entertain the vision of what it would be like not to have this man in her life. She quotes Gloria. 
I had to be willing to not get what I most dreamed of. Love that. And, of course, she's quoting a story about a family who wanted a baby, and it wasn't until they came to a place of peace of not having it after writing about it for a year that we recognized we were a couple, a family, even without this baby. Three days later, they got their baby. So I thought I like that reminder, too. Overall, I'm a thumbs up on this one. What about you, Ming? Did yeah. it, were you I like inspired the by it? Yeah, I like the celebration, the giving thanks chapter hmm. that she wrote on our refrigerator. We have a saying that has been there for years. If you have a dream, follow it. If you catch a dream, nurture it. If your dream comes true, celebrate. I like that. Nancy's asking in chat room if Gloria ended up getting divorced. Uh, it, they were, they'd been married 16 years at the time of this being published. I don't know what happened after that, but they had 16 years in together when the author was telling their story. So I got other st- other books that there I've short stuff to share from them. So let's hear from someone else who's who's been plugged into something lately that they were really excited about or found something super cool to share in it. This is Cindy. I just want to chime in before we leave this book. Hmm. Um, I'm not finished with it yet, but I'm really loving it. Oh, you're reading it too. Tell yeah. us your thoughts. Well, I something that I thought was kind of neat was the way at the beginning of the book, I think it was still an introduction. Yeah, still an introduction. I'm looking at it, how she has a list of questions, and it's like, here are some thoughts that might be running through your head. I hate to write. How is this kind of writing different? She's like, see chapter one. I don't know what I want. See Mark's story in chapter two. What if, what if, what if I don't get what I want? When, what if I do? I'm scared. See this story in chapter five. I just thought it was kind of cool because she goes through all these different scenarios. And the fact that she dealt with, what if I don't even know what I want? Um, and it was the story about the guy that ended up being the opera singer. Uh-huh. And so he didn't even know that he wanted, so he definitely wasn't clear on what he wanted. Um, so that's kind of in opposition to what she said about, you know, clarity being so important. Because when he got what he wanted, it was like a big aha moment for him. And he could trace it back and see um, that he had written a play about an opera singer. So, I mean, he had written it down in a way, but it wasn't directly related to, you know, I'm going to do this exercise to help manifest what I want. So I thought it was just, um, so far, I'm really, really liking it. And the cool thing about it was that when I saw that it was going to be the book for the book club call, um, I ordered it and completely forgot about it after that. And Mm -hmm. then I was... I was doing some work and I was meditating and I got this idea. I was thinking about a couple things that I that I really am working on manifesting and I had this really strong idea to write them down on a list, but not any list, to make it really big like a giant piece of paper. And I just giggled about it, but I didn't do it. And then it just dogged me like for two days. And so finally I said, all right. So I climbed up in my closet where all my art stuff is, and I got this giant piece of paper down, and I took this huge magic marker because that was part of the nudge, and I just wrote this list of everything I could think of that I wanted to manifest, like not in my entire life, but like now. And I got them all written down, and I said, okay, man, I feel a lot better about that. And then the book came. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, Cindy. And I was like, okay. I just started cracking up. And I started reading the book like right then because it was I just finished it and so, um, but I I like I said I'm about halfway through but I'm I'm thinking it's really good so far so I give it a thumbs up as well. Yay! That's awesome. I want to go back to the guy who wrote the play about how he used the writing process to get clear 
on what he wanted. I just stepped out. To, there was a duck out quacking in my driveway, and it sounded very clearly like, feed me, feed me. When he, he said it, it wasn't until he saw his play being performed that he realized he, he wanted to live that. He wanted to be exactly what he'd written about, someone who was willing to step into the spotlight. His story is probably an example of how he did get clarity through writing, but it, actually it didn't come really through the writing. It didn't come until he saw the result of his writing this play and he saw it being performed that the lights went off for him. But Cindy, I also wanted to speak to what you're talking about, writing it down really big. Right before this call, uh, my ex called and said um, that uh, he was just checking in. And he started talking about, he said, that thing you always talk about, you know, writing it down. And I was like, how funny is that? Because I actually had the book open looking for, you know, the things that I had that I had highlighted that I wanted to share. And he said it, it made him think that what he wanted to do and what he actually did was, and, and I didn't know exactly how he did it, but he printed out something or drew up something that looked like Powerballs because he plays the same numbers for the lottery every month or every however often he buys tickets. And he wrote his winning numbers on these Powerballs and he and he um, put it up in his bathroom, so he's looking at winning Powerball numbers, which kind of cracked me up. I said, that's so funny because I need to hang up with you right now to go review, write it down, make it happen. <laughs> well, I, I like, too, the story that she said kind of um, caused her to decide to write this book about her 12-year-old son mm-hmm. that was cleaning his closet one day and found this piece of paper and, and that he had written two years ago and came in and said, and he was like, mystified and said mom i found this in my closet and i wrote this list two years ago and and i totally wrote it and forgot about it and everything on the list has happened mm-hmm. and, and they were the cutest things like what do you remember what was on his list <laughs> i was trying to find where that was in the book because i liked it so much but i might not have highlighted it it was but really I li- cute <laughs> Yeah, it oh. was like a bird. One of them was a bird. One was sleeping overnight in the park. Yeah, 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 sleeping <laughs> outside. And one was I could I could have a bird. Um, it yeah, said um, kar- taking karate lessons. Yeah. I wanted to try out mm-hmm. for a play. And um, those are the things that she listed. He said, I found this list from two years ago when I was cleaning my room. I don't know how, but everything on this list came true, and I forgot I wrote it. Among other things, he had taken karate lessons, tried out for a play, slept overnight at the park, and gotten a bird all without being conscious of checking off items on the forgotten list. Peter's experience made me think, and I noticed the same phenomena happening in my own life, and that's what gave her the idea for the book. Um, mm-hmm. She said, you know, my son Peter at the age of 12 came to me one day with a perplexed expression and a piece of paper in his hand, so I thought, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> I. So does it make you wonder about, I mean, can you look back on your own life and see successes from both sides, writing it down once and forgetting about it, or writing it down repeatedly? Well, I had that experience where I had written down, before I even knew what coaching was, like 10, 12 years ago, I had written down that I had been meditating and that I saw myself wearing a red dress, speaking to a big group of people on a phone, then that totally didn't make sense. Why would I be on a phone, and how am I talking to a group of people on a phone, and what in the world am I doing? <laughs> and I found, and I literally found the, the old journal and opened it and read that passage like an hour after I hung up from teaching a GBU class, and I yep. looked down and I was wearing a red dress. It was like, <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> I was like, took my breath away. I was like, I that's cool. So I was not trying to manifest anything when I wrote that down. I just saw it, and I I was not even sure what it meant at the time. It was like, what is that about? Um, and then I found it, you know, like 12 years later, an hour after that call. So, yeah, I definitely wasn't shooting for anything when I wrote that down. Hmm. Wow. Well, I, I, I kind of think that for him to just, for the boy who wrote it down once and forgot about it, he probably didn't have a lot of resistance to overcome. I mean, partly, <laughs> I was just going to say, when you're 12, you know, you're not right? really fretting about yeah. not being able to do something. Exactly. Versus Gloria, who's writing about her soulmate, who, you know, I don't know how old she was when she met him, but she'd, she'd been wanting this for a while. This wasn't a brand new desire, and even through a two-year writing process, you know, it, it took a while for that to unfold. But that, I think, well, she revealed she had a lot of resistance that um, the process of writing those soulmate letters helped her uh, helped her release, really realize and release. Well, here's what I thought was interesting is that at the beginning, um, she was writing down, you know, dear soulmate, and she was describing what he looked like mm-hmm. and what he loved oh. and what he was like. And so she was sort of, you know, at that point it felt like prey rain journaling where she was like saying – I know you're oh. there, and this is what you look like, and this is how I'm going to recognize you. And did you, know, did you love though how she kind of apologized? She's like, "I'm sorry for being specific, but it just helps me to make it more real." Right? You know, like when she was like <laughs> brown hair, nice build, trim waist. <laughs> but then somewhere along the line, you know, she got a little bit despondent about it hasn't happened yet, and then she put the date on it. So she was 40 because it was her 40th birthday when she said, "You'll be at my 40th birthday party. Here's oh, the date. Right. Here's the time." And then of course that didn't happen. And so I think it was a short time after that or a year or two after that. So mm-hmm. she was in her early 40s, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I thought, you know, when my when my marriage was ending, um, I went and saw a therapist twice and just because I wanted some support. And mm-hmm. she said to me, what would your ideal partner look like? Just shoot for the moon, write me a list. And I thought, oh, my gosh, like, here I am trying to save a marriage. Like, she's asking me to look beyond that. And it was just a really, you know, difficult time. But I did it. I wrote it down in a book. And I wrote a very specific list. And the book got, you know, put in the closet. And five years later, um, I met the handsome sweetheart. And one day I found that list, and every single thing I had written down was applicable to. You know that I have a similar story about how when I decided to call in one of the ones, and I wrote down a list of just to just to get focused and just to get in vibrational alignment. I wrote down 47 things, and then and found that list after I had met and was investing some good time in with Russ. And he was 43 of the 47 things that I had on the list. Yeah, and the thing was is I didn't write it down as an act of, you know, prayer right. and journaling. Yeah. And I wasn't looking at the list and I wasn't vibing and flowing that list all the time. I was. I'm, she, she asked me for an assignment. I did it and tucked it away. So that's, that kind of speaks to that whole the 10-year-old list where he wrote it yeah. down, forgot about it, and two years later, boom, it happened. Well, I think there's somewhere in the book where – Someone said, oh, you're going to get to where you're going to get one way or another. 
I can't remember exactly how they said it. Like there are a variety of different paths there. I don't remember the point that they were trying to make in sharing that. But but what I took away from that was the oh, I think it was someone who was was this the Saint Anthony story, Ming, where mm. she'd heard about selling your house, go bury a Saint Anthony. Oh yeah, Saint Joseph. And I thought of Janet because Janet was just posting recently about how she couldn't bring herself to bury her Saint Anthony. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. And this woman felt the same way, and she's like, "I do, could I put him in Saran wrap before I stick him in the dirt?" And and she's like, "Look, it, you don't have to bury him if you don't want to. It's I think she said the motive right mm-hmm, behind mm-hmm. it. We know it's the vibration, but I liked that looseness around the ritual or the you know specific way because she starts this book right out saying. It doesn't matter whether it's in a journal or loose papers. It doesn't matter what color ink. It doesn't matter what you're wearing when you write it down. That She was really, really loose around the rules, which I thought was pretty cool. That's not how I learned Prey Rain journaling. I learned it with one page a day, as if it's already happened. Uh, don't skip any days. By the time you get to the new book, you'll have it or it'll be so close you can reach out and touch it. That kind of was a little more rule-based, and I think sometimes that trips people up. It certainly has me. So Nancy, you were saying in chat room that um, you used a list for for your second husband. Yeah, my second husband and I. Uh, shortly after we had gotten married, we we found ourselves having, you know, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that, and then one day he said, "Why don't we just sit down together as a couple and put all this down in one list?" And so we wrote it kind of stream of consciousness on one list and then we decided to get a new piece of paper and prioritize it so the things we both wanted the most were at the top of the list and then you know worked its way down so so we had that list we just wrote it and then kind of I don't know just put it away and one by one by one by one everything started manifesting. And I think it was by the time the third or fourth high priority thing manifested that I remembered the list that we had made and the connection. And we laughed about it. And of course, my second husband was a former Buddhist monk. He was studying the Kabbalah. He was studying the Tree of Life. He had interest in the tarot and and, uh, astrology. So this is not a guy who was you know, um, mm-hmm. completely un, you know, foreign to the mm-hmm. concepts that um, that we're talking about here. Magic. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but I think there was really a magic in the fact that the two of us had come mm-hmm. together, and we were doing it in a very light. We're not going to worry well, where the money's going to come from. We're just going to say this is what we want, and this is how. Yeah. I was wondering if that's what makes that one time and forget about it more magic that we sometimes when we keep focusing on something, you know how Abraham talks about if you've got a little charge on it, thinking about it isn't helping. Right. So sometimes just writing it, like if that 12-year-old, if he was every day thinking about how bad he wanted a bird, I wonder if it would have unfolded as easily. Maybe it would have been faster. I don't know. But I think what you just spoke to, Nancy, was part of what makes it work so well because we aren't we aren't spending any time bringing a contrary focus to it by acknowledging right. it's not here yet. Right. Like I've personally, I've written down lists like this myself, 
And while I'm writing it the first time, I might have a light feeling about it, and it's fun, and it feels good, and all that kind of stuff. But if I keep bringing that list up and keep, like, looking at it or contemplating it, kind of like you mentioned in the vow, mm-hmm. um, is it the vow-centered vow life? Or vow-powered vow, life, I think. Vow-powered vow life. Um, I have found that that actually, more often than not for me, causes me to get a kink. It, it creates a kink for me that, you know. I bet it. I bet yeah. that I've probably experienced a similar thing depending on what our subject was. Because I was just thinking when I read about Susie Orman writing, you know, how she's the girl who's never made more than four hundred a month, and here she is affirming ten grand plus, you know, young and successful and powerful. That I bet the reason that appeals to me is because I like feeling like I'm doing something. I like feeling like I'm actually, it satisfies that part of me that gives myself a reason to believe. Like it's, it, it feels like it could, and I know it could go both ways for any person, and I think it could be differently for any person depending on the subject. Like some things, this actually enhances the alignment, and on, on other subjects, this is just kinking it. So some things probably are best off, write it once and forget about it, and the others, like, um, if it, I could see where it could serve. Because when I heard, I had, I'd heard Jim's story, Jim Carrey's, you know, million-dollar check that he only wrote it once, but he looked at it regularly, I gather. He kept, carried it with him in his wallet. But um, that process of getting so deliberate and committed and repetitive with it, it, it juices me up for some things. There are some things I wouldn't want to practice it on. But I was thinking about how when I work with clients, one of the things I ask them to do is name what it is we're working on together, what what it is we're creating. And then I'll ask, okay, now name a wild hair goal. (laughs) Like, you know, the thing that we aren't going to, and we really don't. I never talk with them about it. I don't bring it up. But I just think that that process of naming something and then forgetting about it, there's a magic there that is kind of cool to invoke. And there's more to Susie Orman's story. I don't know if how familiar you are with her background, but um, she was working at this bakery in Berkeley, California. That's where she was making the 400 bucks a month. And, um, you know, she had regular clients that were coming in every day to this bakery and knew her because they saw her every day and knew her financial struggles and her financial situation. And um, she was expressing frustration and wanting something better and one of those clients was um, a stockbroker who <laughs> made a lot of money and said, well, have you ever thought of you know, becoming a stockbroker? And at that time, it really was not common for women to be in that field mm-hmm. at all. Um, and she wasn't even really sure that it was something she wanted to do. Um, but he kept talking to her about it and talking to her about it and then... Um, Finally, she decided to go for an interview, and she dressed up in, in at what the time she thought was, you know, her her best looking outfit. And in retrospect, she questions her <laughs> her thinking on that. But um, but she went and she did the interview, and then she found out, oh, there was going to be a cost. Like, yeah, we'll train you, but there was quite a steep cost. They expected people to pay up front for quote-unquote training, and um, and she was ready to give up, and she went back to the, the uh, bakery and uh, told people, well, it's too expensive for the program, I'm not going to get into it, and 
everybody there pitched in. Everybody that knew her, her clients, her customers, her coworkers, everybody pitched in and they ended up collecting enough money for her to be able to pay, you know, wow. the fees to get in to get started to begin with. So yeah, she's she's had a lot of support all the way along, you know. It's cool. cool. That that is yeah. really cool to hear. Thanks, Nancy. Mm-hmm. Cindy Ming, any other thoughts to share on this book? Mm. I don't Was have any. A- I'm just excited to keep going. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I'd love to hear from you after you finish it. You know, if you have anything else that um, strikes you as really powerful, I'd love to hear that. Does any is anyone reading anything else, or is there anyone else reading? Write it down, make it happen that we should hear from. I'm looking in chat room to see nothing from Robert, nothing from Brenda. Uh, I mentioned on another call. I think it was a water cooler call. I'm going to keep this comment really brief, but I accidentally read the book written by one of the pickup artists. He was a guest on Chase Jarvis's Creative Live series, and they mentioned and he best-selling books. He's done a bunch of interviews with super famous people. I Googled him to see what it was he'd been writing that was a bestseller, found a copy of the game online for free. I, when he, they mentioned in the interview, I thought like he infiltrated, you know, like went undercover into the pickup artist community. No, he was all in on it. He wasn't like just there to research for a book. He was learning the skills. I found the book a little disturbing just based on some of the stories they told and the way they talked about women in general. Uh, you know, referring to them as oh, she's an eight po- brunette, eight point five, or blonde nine. It, I, I didn't, I didn't really love the book, and I also couldn't put it down. It was crazy how it was like driving past a car accident, kind of sort of. But the reason I mention it is because one of the things that they shared, actually several of the things they shared, were very LOA friendly practices. I believe I mentioned this on my five myths. Because sometimes people will say, look, if God doesn't support your desire, then forget it. It's not going to happen. You know, like there's a higher power who, if you don't get stamp of approval on what it is you want, or if they don't think it's in your highest interest, it's not going to happen. I called bullshit on that because I said there are plenty of people who are manifesting things all the time that may or may not be considered, um, uh, that you wouldn't think a higher power would give a stamp of approval on. I didn't say that very well. What, my, my point being that there are guys who learned how to use law of attraction, to, and they didn't necessarily say law of attraction in their training programs or in the formulas that they're sharing with each other, but there, there, it was woven throughout in a variety of ways, in sometimes some slightly disturbing ways, uh, just about what they were willing to believe about themselves and women in order to make it happen. And they were making it happen. And you know, Jeanette, I just I I just have to ask, maybe it was in their highest interest to request some of those things and experiencing them in order to um transmute them to a higher level. You know, you know how you can ask for something because you think you want it and then you get it and you're like, Oh yeah, that's not what I want. <laughs> you well, know, so 
may, who knows? I mean, they're not what we, you and I would consider, quote, unquote, spiritual goals. <laughs> so, yeah, like, for example, you guys, because this sounds really judgmental, but one of the guys, what he did was he created a belief about himself that it was a gift he was giving a woman, and only certain women got this privilege to give him oral sex and pay him for that privilege. That, I remember when I first did my very first scripting thing, didn't believe in this at all, I was just doing it to get it done with. Jeff got adopted, blew my mind, and the next week I was having more sex than I'd ever had in my entire life. And then you found out your boyfriend was... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was working this, I, 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 and that disturbed me. It disturbed me to think that someone else could use this in a way that I might not approve of. And um, that was a concerning thought for me. But I think what I really take away from that now with hindsight is get grounded in what you want. Get really focused. Get very um, – have a strong foundation for yourself so you aren't a person. Because I think Russ is a perfect example. That guy responds to my thoughts of him so powerfully, whether it's that he's the biggest jerk or whether it's that he's a big sweetheart. He turns it around on a dime – based on what I'm thinking. Like, it doesn't take very long for him to respond to it. And I thought someone who was more grounded in who they were wouldn't, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm just that crazy a powerful manifester. I don't think so. I think it's that he's easy to move because he isn't strongly nailed down anywhere. I want to be strongly nailed down so much so that when everyone around me is in a fear storm or having a terrible day, I can still skip through it with my good vibrations. I don't want to be so susceptible to the stuff I don't want to experience. So that's the kind of grounding that I want now. And I'm not opposed to a crazy amount of fabulous sex. <laughs> um, like I was, uh, but it alarmed me the first time that happened. That was, it, I, I called him up and I said, I know what you're doing and that's not ethical. <laughs> and, and, you know, as far as Russ, I mean, he's really not changing. It's your perception that's changing based on the well, vibe I was that thinking, you're flowing, right? I was thinking it's that I'm, I'm, I'm skipping between different realities. Like there's some realities where, but you know how Bashar would talk about this, that there are some things that are a higher probability than others, right? So yes, it's possible maybe in one of our realities where the sun is actually rising in the west and setting in the east. It's a but getting to that one could be tricky because there's just so much stacked against you, right? Like, yes, there are some things that are possible, but not very likely. You've got to be super crazy committed in order to experience that reality that isn't really in the cards based on how most people are flowing right now, right? But if I, if, if what, so what if I was doing was just skipping between the reality where he's a jerk and the reality where he's a fabulous guy, um, I, I kind of think of it that way. It's all happening. I'm just navigating myself into different realities with the thoughts that I'm thinking and the frequency that I'm flowing. What I want to do for my own self is put so much emphasis, so much weight, so much likelihood. And I think that's part of what this repetition thing is doing. It's adding um, momentum. It's adding, I don't know what a different word than weight is, it's making it more likely, more probable, so that experiencing the opposite, I truly believe it would be harder for me to come up dry on clients than it is to have clients because I practice the client vibration so long, so consistently, so committedly. Like I, 
I stack the deck in my favor. There are more realities where that's the case than there are. It's not like I have to try and navigate myself into the rare one where I'm rocking it in my business because that's what most of them are. That's kind of mm-hmm. how I think of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even we talked about this before with that book um, where the guy claims that he's got women paying him. You know, he's writing a book for men who are probably lapping this stuff up, no pun intended, um, and you know, there's there's no proof. Actually, there's no proof that what he's saying is actually, you know, that he that he actually. I don't got doubt it for pain. a second, Nancy. I don't doubt it for a single second. But um, I do. <laughs> but he didn't actually write this book for others to learn from. He wrote it as an expose of the community. This wasn't like a training manual for other guys. He did share a lot of what they were practicing, but it wasn't. That's not. That wasn't his intended audience. Why did he feel it needed to be exposed? I don't know. Huh. I guess it was in his vortex. Huh. Um, I, ha- I had a couple other books, too, I was getting some really good stuff from. Tom Brown's Field Guide, Nature Observation and Tracking. Also, I'm reading a fiction book by Joe Abercrombie. Really, really cool stuff there. And it's what was interesting to me was that I feel like I get almost as much inspiration, if not more, for my manifesting game from the stuff that isn't manifesting books. <laughs> you know, you don't, uh, it's kind of cool how getting outside of, you know, my industry manuals <laughs> uh, gets me even more lit up about what I can do with my own practice to tweak things for my vibration management practice. But we're about at the top of the hour, so I don't want to go digging through those. Does anyone else have anything to share? We definitely do not want to end on the note of the game, so I hope someone else, whether it's a video, a book, a workshop. Anyone got anything? I'm just rereading. You know, the thing is, is that I'm very, I realize this, I am very intuitive about what I read. So I might be in the middle of a book, and all of a sudden I'll remember another book or another passage or something else will catch my eye and I'll put down that first one and go uh, read what's meant for me. You know, like I'll literally open the book and whatever page flops open is the one that I'm, you know, going to read. So I was reading um, Rantha's White Book again and all of a sudden I got this intuitive hit to go pick up my Think and Grow Rich book. And so I'm in the process of rereading that. And, um, yeah, so nothing exciting. I thought today, yeah, uh-huh. a couple of the quotes uh, that she shared from Napoleon Hill make me want to pick up that again. It's been a while since I visited that, but it's so rare for me to reread anything twice. I haven't even, I haven't read Abraham twice. I haven't read... Uh, there's so much I just don't even, I don't read twice. It surprised me to be picking up Write It Down, Make It Happen Again. Mm-hmm. But And before Rantha's book, I was reading um, uh, Abraham's book on uh, Money and the Law of Attraction. Mm-hmm. So I really do, um, you know, I might be reading a book and really enjoying it, but if I get a hit, it's like what Cindy was talking about. You get like a hit or an idea and it just it just nags you until you do it, and that's what, how I feel. Uh, a lot of my decisions happen for um, uh, 
for reading, and I had gotten from the library um, several weeks ago, I had gotten um, the Think Big Manifesto from Michael Port, mm. and there was something in there that when I read it, it just made me stop and... Um, uh, what was it? I'm trying to see if I can find it really quickly. Um, oh, he was talking about he was talking about Donald Trump. In oh my God, okay, he wrote this book. I gotta go back here. He wrote this book in thinking in 2009. Yes, okay, this is what he wrote about Donald Trump. Our small thinking society has resolved personal worth into a solely trans transactional value, the Donald Trump pseudo big way. How much do you make? What things do you own? Who have you conquered along the way? The small thinking path to success is littered with the carcasses of others who have been stepped on and over. For the record, Mr. Trump, thinking big never belongs to in the same sentence as kicking ass. Never. Thinking wow. big is not now and never will be the same thing as taking advantage of others. In other words, kicking ass. Trump is hardly the only one. And then he goes on and on about, about others. But when I read that, I was like, I don't know. It just it just struck me that somehow he was um, psychic, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was just here wondering when was that written? Yeah, it was uh, written in two thousand nine. Uh, uh, you know, and here I, you know, I was reading it a couple weeks ago, and um, probably right around that time was when it was uh, obvious he was going to be the re Republican candidate. But wow, yeah. Hey, so that sounds like an interesting book. What else in there is? What, is it? Are you a thumbs up on it, Nancy? You know, I don't know. It's a kind of, other than that, it's kind of a mixed bag for me. Mm. Um, it's very much a you know, go for your dreams and do what you want to do. And mm -hmm. I don't need to be told that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, um, mm -hmm. and maybe some people do, and so that's why the book was written. Um, he claims that the book had wanted to be written for a long time and he was afraid to write it. He was afraid that people would judge him for writing it. But it's very much about, you know, don't care what other people think, do what's right for you, listen to your own guidance, you know, um, get comfortable with discomfort, you know, just be who you are. And if people don't like it, don't worry about it. Focus on the people who do like it, you know, stuff that I'm not, it's very much a rah-rah um, uh -huh. book, you know, kind of like cheerleading book. Like maybe which, someone who's, who'd never been supported or encouraged before might get a lot from it. Yeah. You know, if they'd yeah. only been kept down or discouraged. Yeah. If they, it, he's basically encouraging you to have big ideas. And when I was reading it, it reminded me that as a kid, I, I always had big ideas. And the adults around me were always telling me that I needed to bring it down mm -hmm. a notch or two or three or four, <laughs> you know, like where do you get all these big ideas? And of course, as a kid, I didn't see limitation as, you know, well, there's a roadblock. So what? Who cares? There's a roadblock. <laughs> we'll work around it. You know, that was my attitude as a kid. But of course, the adults and the people that I was around at the time were like, well, but roadblocks are roadblocks and you'll never get past the roadblock. And so that ended up becoming my own, you know, my own journey and my own thing. But, um, but yeah, well, I guess, yeah. 
And the reason I ask is one of my vows that I've been meditating on daily is to dream bigger. And that's taken hold in my house hunting where <laughs> I was telling Ming earlier as we were rock shopping today that um, now when it, when I look at a house, if it doesn't say livestock or, you know, like it's zoned for livestock, I don't. I stop looking because mm-hmm. – but in the beginning when I was looking for places um, – I just, you know, if it had enough room for some dogs, if I could have some dogs without, you know, raising any eyebrows, I I was down with it. But now I'm like, no, there's got to be room for a barn, if not already a barn, and a nice big pasture would be cool too. Not that, you know, I have these animals that I plan on moving with me, but I just, um, uh, I just, there's something in me that says that's the way to go. And it wasn't just as a kid, my parents were telling me, don't do that. <laughs> um, for a long time, my parents really not down <laughs> with my love for animals. But even now, they're like, my dad, Jeanette, I don't think you realize how much upkeep a barn requires. <laughs> and that did kind of um, take some wind out of myself for a little while before I realized, no, this is my dream. This is my life. Oh, it was in there. I think it was in this book. It was another quote from Napoleon Hill that was, it was Napoleon Hill quoting someone else where he said, uh, hang on, it was really good, you guys. I know I highlighted it. It was like, I'm not going to get it right if I try and do it my own self. So I know it's in the very beginning. And he was saying, You know you love me, book. You know you want to show me where you are. Well, it was well while you're like- looking, while you're looking for that, I I think what's fascinating here is that you didn't find the house you were looking for a year ago or before because you hadn't really refined your uh, your wish list. Hmm. And as you as you're going, your wish list is getting more and more and more refined. You know, and I did find houses that met, you know, the smaller version, you know, the one mm-hmm. that my parents would approve of. Mm-hmm. And there were two houses that I put offers on. This was a while ago. But but now what I'm looking at, I wouldn't even give that a second glance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just, um, it's just more proof that sometimes when we don't get the house we think we want or we don't get the right. thing we think we want, there there's something even better. Oh, my God. You know, it's so true. We, I mean, we say it so often, and it sounds kind of trite, especially when someone says it when you're, they're trying to take the sting off your current disappointment. But I can see that for myself now. Like, thank God I hadn't just moved everyone, because I, I really don't want to move everyone uh, twice. I really want to move once. So thank God I hadn't, because I might, I might be inclined to stay had I done that. So it's easy to celebrate that, yeah, those, those things didn't come together. And it also is good reinforcement for for me trusting, you know, when things got just a little sideways, because I put in good offers. It's not like I was, you know, out fishing for a crazy good deal. I put in good offers, but it was just little things that could, my agent was like, hello, we could get past this. What One being I put in an offer and um, we expected them to counter. Actually, she talked with their agent like, okay, she's going to offer this. You guys counter at that, and we'll have a deal. So we kind of knew the deal. I put in the offer at this. They countered $1,000 less than what they had agreed what it was going to be, and she was, or $1,000 more, sorry. And um, I was like, wow, okay, well, that's not it then. And she said, what, are you kidding me? Like, she couldn't believe it. 
She's like, Jeanette, it's $1,000. And I said, no, it's a sign. <laughs> it's not $1,000. It's a sign. And uh, she just thought I was kind of losing my mind. But, um, like, I would let my dream house go for $1,000. But I, I knew this is not how it goes. So in hindsight, I was very well um, – it was confirmed. to. It was smart of me to honor that what she considered not even a sign. I can't find it, but it was he. It was a quote that something to the effect of, "Little did I know that here I've been working for menial wages all this time. Little did I know life would have paid me whatever I asked." Mm. Come on, if there wasn't a better invitation to dream big than that, I don't know what it is. And conscious creators don't have any problem understanding the truth of a statement like that. Yeah. Our only challenge is how how to be in alignment with that dream, and I think. She's on to something when she talks about the writing process for helping us create that alignment. So, Have you, um, speaking of off-topic LOA books, have you read anything by Joel Salatin, S-A-L-A-G-I-N? So. He's, um, he's a farmer and lecturer. He's, um, he teaches a lot about permaculture, especially in relation to animals. Hmm. So um, he's big on... Uh, humane treatment of animals and allowing them to live as close to how they would be in nature if man was not involved. I gotta write um, down. And in the process, in the process of developing his system, so what happened was his parents had bought a farm back in the, I think the 1940s or 1950s, they had bought a farm and the land on the farm was completely depleted. It was mm-hmm. really bad um, soil. And so the family was like, okay, well, we're not going to grow plants here because <laughs> soil's so bad. So they started um, raising animals and raising uh, cows and raising uh, pigs and raising chickens. And then uh, Joel grew up and, went and left the farm. He went and got a degree, um, I think a journalism degree, something along that line. And then his family had... Uh, the father got ill or sick or something, and he had to come back to the farm. And when he got back to the farm, realized the farm was really in trouble and they, they needed some help. So he did his research, and he came back with a whole process where he takes the cycles of the land and the cycles of the animals in account. And in the process of doing this, what he's ended up doing is he's created a system that grows topsoil at something like five inches a year, which is like, mm. I mean, normally topsoil, I guess, grows like a quarter of an inch a year normally. But with his program, there's no pesticides, no uh, antibiotics, no drugs, no, no it's all natural and organic and it actually helps heal the land in the process and he gets more yield out of the land and he's out there showing young people and others who want to get into farming what they can do uh, basically on a shoestring to um, get their own farm up and going and how to do it. And and he has this process, like I said, where he'll grow the grass at, to a certain height and then he'll bring his cows in and the cows will eat 
the fresh grass and they love the grass because that's their ideal food. And while they're there, of course, they're leaving their droppings behind. And then he'll move the cows out to another fresh pasture and he'll leave the the first pasture alone for like three days and in those three days the the cow droppings create bugs and then he brings um, the chickens in and the chickens will eat the bugs and while they're eating the bugs they'll also be moving the cow stuff around which ends up for fertilizing the ground yeah and mm-hmm. then he brings the pigs in behind and anyway the whole process that he does this ends up creating this amazing cycle where it all takes care of itself and it ends up becoming cool. almost effortless thanks for that tip nancy i might be the only one who's really interested in that but i'm definitely taking note i'm not even interested in farming and i get on youtube and i cannot stop watching the videos about his farm it just fascinates me and I'm not even remotely interested in having a farm. <laughs> but, but the whole systems of nature and how he he basically takes what nature already has figured out and he works with it. And I find that very appealing, you know. Um, people, some people may know him because he appeared in um, Michael Pollan's um, Food Inc. or one of those um, movies where they were talking about what's wrong with our food system and then he was the example of what's right with our food system. Yeah, he was in Food Inc. Um, So that may end up on one of my reading lists very soon here. I was going to ask everyone if they've got any upcoming books that you're going to check out so we could maybe get on the same page. I love it when we can share thoughts with each other about what we're reading. Does anyone have anything on the docket? to share? I've got, Melanie had me order Lab, The Lab Girl. It's fiction, but it's a, something to do with plants, consciousness or something. She said I'll love it, so that's on its way. I still have a couple others on my, I still haven't read a couple of these. Uh, yeah, I got some good stuff coming up, though, I think. All right, anything I should share from chat room? I'm I'm wondering if you know there's some there's some classic books that we've never really you know reviewed or talked about here at GVU over the last six and a half years. You know the the more classic yeah. um, books that like maybe Rantha. some of the yeah I like Rantha's White Book and some of the the other books that um, new people to GVU who are relatively new to LOA might you know, be interested in knowing about. I would be down with that. I would be down with that. If anyone has something they would like to suggest to start, I'm looking at my bookshelf to see if anything jumps It might out not like fill that. up a whole hour, but, you know, right. if if people are reading something, yeah. You know what? I kind of want to do – Nancy, did you say you were – it was Napoleon Hills or it was the science of getting rich that you were going to pick up? Oh, I am currently reading Napoleon Hills' Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich, currently. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm pulling mm-hmm. it off my shelf. Maybe we could share some favorites from it on our next book club. Okay. Think Anybody else that wants to join us can do it, too. Yeah. It's been forever. I mean, like, forever, forever since I've read this thing. Yeah. And there were some things that the first time I read it, it kind of, you know, derailed me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I want to see if, you know, as time has passed, if it's still derails me or if I'm seeing it from a new perspective. 
Right on. Yeah. Well, thanks for the suggestion. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in for our call today. I love these discussions. So um, Ming and Cindy and Nancy, thanks for dialing in. Everyone else, we'll see you on our next GVU call. Bye, Thank everyone. you. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.